Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Run. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. Today we have quite a few of those great interviews we did back there at Pittsburgh, PA, inside of Netroots Nation. And I think you guys are going to like these interviews. I am pretty sure you're going to like the interviews. Anyway, folks, how is everybody doing? How is everybody doing? Welcome aboard, Lee Grant. He says, hey, the chatters. And Egberto AVQ says, I'm away today. See you tomorrow. Well, great to see you, AVQ. Both AVQ and uh, Bridge MCP, your T-shirts are packed and ready to go. So we'll be off today. Bridge MCP says, Egberto Willis, you've had to be working your butt off. Oh, man, it's crazy. It's crazy. I have some something like 40 interviews to process. I've gotten down probably eight of them, seven, maybe seven of them. I think I did you guys three yesterday and four we're going to do today. Erin Carl says, howdy, you all. Welcome. Hi. Hey, uh, Mr. Erin uh, Carl. Welcome aboard. Nanette Bird-Smith says, howdy, Bruce. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It says, howdy, y'all. You know, that's our good old Texas phrase here. Paul Fleming says, ATL checking in. Paul saw your stuff. Not all of it because you sent quite a bit, but I kind of tickled some of them. And, of course, we have Yvette Avery Herod, our union activist who gets things going, who makes sure change is done. Dev Denny. Welcome aboard Politics Done Right. Anyhow, folks, um, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Eric Hayes is in the house as well. Tom C. is in the house. Says, waving hello from Michigan Mitten, he says. And Eric says, famed investor Warren Buffett is steadily snowballing a stake in Occidental Petroleum Inc. in what could be the end of his biggest ever acquisition. His Berkshire Hathaway on Friday won approval to buy as much as 50% of the shares. Some investors believe it's a step toward a full takeover, which may end up costing $50 billion. That's all I have to say when it comes to somebody making money off of moving paper. What did you really add to society? I like Warren Buffett. He's giving away all this money. So it's okay that he's reaping the benefits of a whole lot of stuff. But do remember, my dear brothers and sisters, that all he's doing is he says, okay, we looked at Occidental or we look at this. It looked like we can make a whole bunch of money here. We'll move the paper there. But do remember who are the ones that are making the money. The ones that are really making the money are all those people that are working for Occidental. All those people that are working their butts off. Eric A. says, great article on mix of renewable with fossil balance. It's the key, not mandates, recipe for a reliable Texas grid, a gas plant plus 22,000 batteries and backup fuel. I saw that. Let me tell you. I don't know what you're talking about. Mandates. If you don't have mandates, then you go to the lowest common denominator. Mandates ensure an even playing field. If you have mandates, you can't have another company trying to undercut some company, okay? Uh, so let's remember that mandates are there to create a a e a a um a, a a a sound level playing field. Don't ever forget that. I've sent mandates. Somebody can decide to do something uh, something that's good. Uh, somebody can decide to say, "Oh, uh, he's following the mandates. I will not follow the mandate." Therefore, I can make more profits in the short term. Eso no está bien. That's no good. So, folks, remember, mandates are necessary. Sarah Benchley, mandates. Hey, I like what, she, you know, Sarah wrote, man-dates. So, a mandates is what she's saying. And Peggy Lopez is in the house. Peggy, thank you. At the end of the show last night, she gave us a great super chat. Thank you so kindly. I think it was a super badge. Thank you for that super badge, my dear sister. All right. Uh, Eric Hayes says, mandates equal power hungry. Look at California works real well with government too. Hmm. Um, aye, aye, aye. Wait, I tell you what. Let's go ahead and start because I have about, let's see, 22, 19, 20. We got to get on to the interviews because these are some great interviews. I want you guys to see it. 
Uh, one last one I'm going to read. Lee Grant says, most people I know in the oil industry makes good money all, at, at all job levels, not just exec. Yeah, but the exec make obscene amount of money and the custodians make next to nothing. You know how I know? I know from executives in the oil business to people who are in the union trying to get, and you know, we are a, 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 a work at will state here, a, a right to work state. So we don't get much. Nanette Bird-Smith says, Bridge MCP, uh, early voted. Okay, I don't know if I, I, I think I said this already, but Bridge and uh, Bridge MCP and uh, Michael Rodnan, the T-shirt that uh, Chris got for you guys while we were live on air in Pittsburgh. I, I packed those up today. Should be heading out to you guys. So beware, your fancy T-shirts are on the way. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get busy with the woman who co-created the 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 uh, the Daily Show with John Stewart. I uh, spoke to her. She's a buddy of mine. Check this out. Then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. We're coming to you live from Netroots Nation 2022. We are. The- Welcome to Politics Done Right. We are coming live from where again? Pittsburgh, PA. Netroots Nation. 2022 and who do we have here the one and only where here liz <laughs> winston liz winston the daily show and i wrote it down because he writes the daily show on the back of a drink ticket this is i think <laughs> no this is where you get free it's drinks. kpft 90.1 oh, okay. fm right. but you know uh you know hey look hey look the last time we spoke Ugh. you were so concerned about that abortion was going to be overturned, but that we were going to somehow be able to get over it. And even though you were fighting for it, I don't think any of us really, really believe that it would have just been overturned. But you've been fighting. I've been, I've been saying it and nobody believed me. I'd, I'd, I'd rephrase it that way. Yeah, okay. Right? No, well, actually, you know something? You're right. You're right. Uh, I think it's we who were hearing that yeah, they may try to cut out the corners, but you were saying, no, they could hold, go for the whole shebang. Yeah, well, I think, I think you know, part of our self-preservation right. is to not believe that cruelty could run that deep. And I think that everybody has needed to see. Right. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. That the Republican Party has literally become like zombies who feed off of our rights and then when it's the next feeding they need to take more rights right. like they will never be satiated until i don't know when and that's the part that scares but me you know what what you know i mean i, I know I, I spoke to a, a few women in, in the movement they were crushed yeah they were crushed because it was like you know you're, you see this stuff happening in slow motion mm-hmm. and then it just pops yes Yes, I think so. And I think that even those of us in the movement Mm -hmm. who were preparing for the fall of Roe and what that would look like. Right. The one thing I will say is I don't think anybody thought and for sure they're going to just take birth control. Right. And for sure they're going to put a bounty on people's heads. Right. And deputize citizens. Right. To arrest people trying to access care. Like. The levels that this has gone in order to create laws that can be skirted around by our Supreme Court. Literally, right. they duped the Supreme Court yeah. by saying, the Supreme Court saying, well, I don't know how we we have to uphold a law that gives citizens the right, right. to, because we don't know. They were like, damn you kids, you know, on Scooby-Doo. It was like crazy. So... The good news is mm-hmm. it's been a wake-up call. And my organization, Abortion Access Front. Um, Before I forget, give them the address of the, the, the oh, URL. aafront.org and then Abortion Front all over on social. Um, we have been planning for the overturn of Roe for about nine months. Right. 
we also knew that oftentimes when these big things happen, mm-hmm. we march without a plan, right? right? And then people are like, what can I do right. beyond marching? Right. So we created Operation Save Abortion. It's uh-huh. operationsaveabortion.com. It's a five-part series where we got the experts in all these different forms of activism within the movement. Right. You can watch an episode and right. we have a activity guide that goes with it. So mm-hmm. what we're saying is if you want to learn about helping patients, mm-hmm. helping clinics, direct action, legislative work, um, or, you know, whatever, um, watch one of these episodes with a bunch of friends, do the activity guide, watch all five episodes, and then you can have an overview of how you can participate. And then we'll hook you up with the organizations who are doing the work either nationally or right in your community so that people can no longer say, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know what to what do. To do. Yeah. And also they can be honest. They've watched this. Then they say to us, I have an hour a month that I can give. And we say we can put you to work. Right. So we want to be able to meet people where they are access whatever capacity they have and make them feel like however they can participate is meaningful because that's key. Right. Now, Liz, you've been working at this for a long time. Um, see, your, your organization has to have grown since the, since the, the, because you guys have a lot more to do now. Yeah. Well, that's always the problem, right? Yeah. We have 10 people. Yeah. We haven't gotten any more funding. Shockingly. Um, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean you haven't gotten any more funding? I mean, all this stuff's happened and we're still working. We're at capacity. We have, we've gotten more volunteers, which right. is great, but you know, it's we, shocking that you don't have people rushing to throw money at you. You would think, I think they don't know we exist. So now you do, you know, aafront.org. but you know, in creating, we, we did a lot of blood, sweat and tears. I, I remember to I get remember this going, right? Remember when guys, we launched? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember well. Yep. You know, so um, so we have ten full time people. We have five part time folks, and then uh-huh. a whole bunch of of um, volunteers. But you know, it would be nice to have a team of twenty if we're gonna, you know, to really help create this thing. And well, so, let, let, let's talk to first a progressive space. If you believe what you're saying, if you believe that women are worthy as we know they are. <laughs> I hope I didn't put that politically incorrectly. I think that we're worthy. I don't think there's any way to say women are worthy politically incorrect. Thank you. Just just want to make yeah. sure. All right. So I, I think it is time for us to start funding the things we believe in and, and stop just funding consultants not on the ground. A hundred. That is a super good way to do it because a lot of times people will fund thinkers who are like right. flying overhead. These folks are We're on, on the, ground. the ground. We're on the ground. You know, it's time for us to stop the 16,000. I, I, I could tell you stories of 16 and 15 and $20,000 consultants and start remembering to throw that money into the people on the ground, actually getting things done. Uh, what haven't I asked you that I should have asked you? I mean, I think that folks need to do a little bit of a rethink on how they've been participating in the reproductive health rights justice movement. You know, so many times I hear progressives say, I hope you women, like it's such, it's such a bummer what's happening with you women. Right. Right. And understanding a, it's it's larger than just women, right? It's all genders, but also we all need to, as humans fundamentally understand that abortion is about bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. and they're coming after our bodies, whether you're LGBTQ whether you're black and brown, right. whether you need an abortion, we are all intersected, right? right? And so the bad guys coming after abortion are the same bad guys who are coming after our kids in their schools, our LGBTQ community, CRT, all of that garbage that they're throwing out there, it's the same people. And when we all talk in our movements, I can say, hey, you know, John Doe, who's like, out there fucking yep. advocating for this shit. He's also in front of our clinics. And did you also know that John Doe has these three things planned? And it's like, I did not. So the more we talk, the more we understand that the like Venn diagram of these issues is a circle. Yeah. Um, we can be stronger together. Liz Winstead, co-creator of the Daily Show. Darling. My oh my God, can I give you a hug? Absolutely. Yay. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much. And power to the movement. Power to the movement. And power to all of us. Girl. 
I, we're going to do it. I'm, I got a lot of energy, so try to take me down. Absolutely so. She does have a lot of energy. Trust me, that's a, that's a tough woman, man. Liz Winstead, she and uh, John Stewart created, and, and the other one created the Daily Show. Anyhow, I have another good one for you. And, and this one is, um, you know what I've been preaching, this likely, the likely. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The voter model is wrong. I still believe the likely voter model is is wrong. Um, but before I go there, I met this woman out there in a, her name is Kiela Smith Upton. And she's talking about collectives. Okay? Collectives. You know, I don't like uh, the, the enslavement of corporations. A corporation is not a democracy. A corporation is just another form of antiseptic slavery. I want you guys to listen to what Kiela Smith Upton is talking about because she is talking in the same space as political economists like Gore Alperovitz and others that believe until we, the actual people that do the work, until we, the people who, who create things, until we, the people whose intellect is used to make America what America is, until that time comes, the parasites that lay at the top of capitalism will continue to do the things that they do. And the only way to stop that is for us to have different mechanisms, collectives, cooperatives, etc. And here is one particular option that Kiela Smith Upton spoke to me about at the union. Check this out. Kiela Smith Upton. Pleasure to be here. You are with? Artists design the future. Are you going to be designing the future or something or what? We are. We well, do. Well, tell me a little bit about what, what, your, what your organization is all about. So we are a forming mm -hmm. worker cooperative. Uh -huh. What the, does that mean? In the state of Illinois. Uh -huh. So in the state of Illinois, there was a law passed that a worker cooperative is mm -hmm. actually an entity, just like an S-Corp. Uh, LLC or other entities mm -hmm. and the requirement is that you have three co-founders and it's it's intention is that it's a democratic run mm -hmm. organization or entity you right. can choose your IRS designation right um, that is to run totally democratic where it's just it's one vote for each founder and each and then each, the subsequent members as well so that there's total self-determination in how we're run how how we function here now what about things like employees and all that sort of stuff are they are they considered uh, uh, what's that word that we always um there's a word that use that they have stationed in in the organization as well so that's what's beautiful about a worker cooperative yes yeah. you can have employees but technically it's a because the structure is so different. Everyone is a member owner of I, that cooperative. I am so glad because w when you when you spoke about the founders, I kind of thought about I, I was thinking hierarchical, right? And no. you no. Uh, and and I didn't you know I, I guess everybody that's a part of it will be well. You have the founders and the people who come in as members as well. Correct. There are uh, there is the opportunity where you can have a couple levels of membership where uh -huh. you can have kind of uh, less active members and ones that are more actively engaged, it gives us the opportunity to really self-determine right. how we choose to create the structure of the of, organization. Of, yeah. But the bottom line is that it's democratic in the sense that all the members right. each get a vote for decision-making for the organization and how it functions and how it's run, unlike yeah. a traditional corporate structure right. yeah, that's so hierarchical. You know, and the thing about it is we talk about corporate structures being hierarchical. I actually believe that every 
form of business should be run in that sort of form? And I mean, right now we we can call folks employees, but there's they're nothing more than what I call antiseptic slaves because they tell you what to do, they tell you what to, uh, everything. What you're telling me is this is done democratically. Corporations are not a democracy. Corporation <laughs> has far from it. A, their master relationship type um, organizations, which is one of the things that I work on as far as promoting. Um, promoting that people should be self-determined. So Absolutely. I love that uh, what you're doing now. How, what, what's the end goal of the organization? What are you doing? Are you just trying to teach people how to do these things or what's your end goal? So there's three main focus and, and our, well, our goal is to create sustainable resources right. for creatives in particular, which then always have a ripple effect out into the communities right. that we live in. Right. Um, so our main three goals, one is training, mm-hmm. and this is all artist-led, which mm-hmm. is the power of it as well. Right. Community engagement, that's mm-hmm. artist-led, mm-hmm. and using the arts and creative experiences. And the third, which is our big, big, hairy, audacious goal, mm-hmm. is to develop mixed use art spaces and what, what does, does that, that mean, mean? Yeah. that means a mixed use meaning there's commercial and residential so our uh, our goal for the first building is to have 30 units mm-hmm. commercial on the first floor 24 work live units up above but all owned also as a real estate cooperative right. so all the creatives that are in these spaces are members of that real estate right. cooperative, which is in and of itself a small business. Right. And each individual unit is is owned, quote unquote, by a member right. of that cooperative. So the other self-determining awesome part of that is we know a lot of creatives don't have traditional ways right. they make money. Right. So since there's not this need to fit in the box of traditional lending right. where everyone has to go get a right. mortgage, there's one mortgage for the whole building and all the members collectively own it and pay a portion, but they still have all the benefits of ownership like, yeah. and the write-offs and all the, the, those tax benefits. But um, the other ethic that's a value that's really key for us as well is inclusion and accessibility. So a minimum of one third of all the units mm-hmm. will be for members that have disabilities. Nice, yeah. As well. And 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 then in the end, what, you're, what you have is a community arts and culture hub mm-hmm. that has this ripple effect out into the community, right. but that also is able to help 30 small businesses with, by creators right. to grow and, no. nur- and be sustainable for the long term. I, I love that. And the, the last thing I would just say is what it does also is it gives them that self-determination to not be affected by gentrification because ownership is you key. own it yes. key. Mm-hmm. you make the decisions right you're not beholden to oh there's um, rises in the rents or there's you know you're at the mercy of a, su- a government subsidy that's going to run off right. and then you can't afford to live there anymore right. I-, I love that now let me ask you something is are these units specific to artists or are we saying that um, this is just a model right now for artists but later on you could actually have other folks in, in, in the cooperative, let's say I'm a software developer and wanted to do that. I could I could say that a software developer is an artist, but I mean, uh, is this restricted to just... That's a fabulous question. And yeah. We really extend the idea of artists to include creatives as well, which right. is a definition that moves outside of the elitist concept of, of the arts. Like you or, have yeah. to be able to do that. I mean, it could be a DJ, right. it could be a social worker. And right. people who are creating in the world. That's what I'm asking. And then the the idea also is the 24 work live units up right. above, which are be intergenerational. Right. We want to have elders, families, youth. Right. So there there is a true sense of community, but the commercial units don't have to exclusively be the arts. Right. They could be we're working along with the uh, local chamber of commerce to see what kinds of monies are being taken out of the community right. that for needs that aren't being met right. for the people in the community we live in. Right. So that we'll be open to businesses right. on the commercial level to meet the needs of what the community says they need. Now, here's the most difficult question within uh, on your framework. Mm-hmm. How do you handle conflict resolutions? You know, that's a great question. And honestly, I wish I had the other two current co-founders right. here. And and I just wanted to qualify that comment earlier about co-founders. It's just because it's the three of us who that found started it. it. No, no, I got but it. it. It'll, yeah. No, okay. no, I, I understood. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So 
our one co-founder, Laura, mm-hmm. that is like part of her genius and strength right. facilitating right. that. And she's continuing to train herself. But all three of us bring a strong leadership experience and continuing education to have um, skills to help facilitate that. But the great part about cooperative is it's not up to us. Right. I mean, it is initially because we're the right, three. Right. But as it grows and then as the building is, that's for the cooperative to self-determine. Right. How are we going to handle conflict resolution and right. planning for that in advance that's what before I meant. the yes. conflicts present right. themselves because they're going to come. Absolutely. That's just the nature. I mean, you've got 30 people or entities in a community. Right. You're going to have conflicts. Um, but the bottom line is that because it's such a democratic mm-hmm. um, setup, because it is literally one vote per member, right. you get to decide right. how, what, what are the qualifications right. that we are going to decide are what we require for someone to qualify to live here. To live and right. I don't have to talk to a bank right. or an underwriter right. to make that decision. We're right. totally self-determining. And you determine what you want. Yes, yeah. exactly. I love that. Well, as usual, you will... You heard what I asked the other person, so you should be prepared. Okay, what question should I have asked you that I didn't? You should be prepared now. How much is the building going to cost? Oh, wow. How much is the building going to cost? At our current projections on yeah. the pro forma, at $250 per square foot, Right. it's round about $12.5 million. And? And... What that means is we need help Mm -hmm. to connect with a variety of catalytic capital, um, philanthropic capital, impact investors, donations, Mm -hmm. and other sorts of monies that can help reduce that final ownership cost Mm -hmm. so that the the eventual member owners, they could be at a 60% area median income. They could be at a 40% area median income because the final mortgage is not 12 Five million dollars. Right. We're projecting it at around three point two million, and and to get all that other funding, nine million yeah. through these other resources and other. Now, types of now, funding. how do you? How is that intent? Let's say if you wanted to replicate that over and over and over again, what's the what's the uh, path? See, you said that was the final question, but I know well, this just well, triggers you, more no, questions. You opened, right? the, you I opened the door. I opened that door. Yeah. That is a fabulous question mm-hmm. because part of our intention also is to document this process mm-hmm. so that it's available for other communities. We're from the Chicago area right. on the south side, but for other communities in Chicago, nationally, I mean, regionally, nationally, right. even internationally, because communities like this get created, but nobody leaves the breadcrumbs. Nobody says, right. okay, this is how we started. These are some key things you need to build the momentum to create this. And it's just, it's like you're always reinventing the wheel. So we want to have a toolkit at the end that is available to people i mean it won't be like color in the dots no, but, but I mean, a step I, by step like a, framework. a framework a framework so you yeah. can start strong and know and not have to just figure it out all out through trial and error yeah miss smith upton and you notice i didn't rush to the first name and you know why thank you so kindly thank for you. having it's been on point. politics done right thank you spend a lot of anyhow folks i hope you like that hey this is important this is important first of all folks please go ahead and give me that good old thumbs up give me that good old thumbs up make sure that we are making the algorithm do its work please give me that thumbs up if you are on youtube give me that like if you are on facebook and whenever you start remember to tell the folks to go to anchor.fm slash politics then write so that they can subscribe to the podcast. That's where we get most of our views. All right, folks. Um, first of all, I have something, uh, brother. Um, there's something that kind of tickled me. Lee Grant says, replying to Bridge MCP, the latest government data uh, show that in 2018, the top 1% of income earners, those who earned more than 540000 earned 21% of the U.S. income, while paying 40% of all federal income taxes. The top 10% earned 48% of the income and paid 7% of the federal income taxes. If you, I mean, here's a funny thing about what you just showed there, Lee Grant. You show what's called exponential earnings of America, a, this, a crazy system in the way we pay or the way we provide income. And by the way, there's something that's missing there. 
how do we define income? Oh, income are wages. But if we actually use the wages or the income that we get from wealth, somehow that income is treated differently. In other words, if you work for if you work your job and you get paid in dollars, you have a high income tax rate. But if you make millions and billions off of just moving paper, like uh, like 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 uh, Bill Gates or any one of these others do it, you pay a much smaller tax rate. And that 40% of the people or 48% of the people pay so much more in, in, in uh, the 10% that pay so much more in taxes than anybody else. You know why they pay so much more? Because they are the ones that have all of the money. If they're stealing your money and then paying your share of taxes on the money they stole from you as well and then say, hey, I pay more money than you do, of course you do. You're paying taxes on the money you stole from me. You see, it's all in how you frame an argument. It's all in how you frame a discussion. It's all in how you frame something. If you just accept the fact, well, you know, rich people are paying most of the taxes, you start to feel a, ingratiated to the rich people. Oh, my God, the rich people are paying all the taxes. You feel like there's something about the rich people since they're paying all these bills for us. They're great people. Not realizing that they have all the money to pay all the bills because they're stiffing you. That is like somebody saying, I rob a thousand dollars away from you and I look nice when I say, hey, would you like a hundred dollars? Take a hundred dollars. I'm giving you a hundred dollars. I know you're poor now that somebody stole your money. I didn't tell you I stole it. I stole it, but here's a hundred dollars. Here's a hundred dollars. When we learn to not take the framing that conservatives and neoliberals give, oh, the rich people are the ones who create jobs. Bull! The rich people are deserving. Bull! You have to understand that you are the worthy one. You are the creators. You are the ones that get things done. You are the one that gets up in the morning and sweep floors, sweep streets, empty garbages. You are the one who goes into the lab with your intellect and think. You are the one doing that. Not the plutocrats that, that our Brother Lee Grant is talking about. Oh, they made $540,000 on average or the median. And they're the ones paying all the taxes. They're paying the taxes because they took your money. And they're paying the taxes on your money. Don't ever, ever allow it to be said or allow it to be believed that the master folks out there are worth any more than you are. You are the ones. You're watching me right now. You are the ones that create. You are the ones that make things. You are the ones Bridge MCP says, Egberto Willis, love how the mic is lightened to because of the green screen. Like a wee light show, not distracting either. Hey, it's all by an accident. It's all by an accident it's happening. All right, folks, what time is it here? We are at hour 36. I got two more good videos I want to show. And I, I tell you what I'll do. I'll do my ask at the end because I want to get this all out. Norman Reynolds says more than 90% of Americans have 1% of all the wealth in the U.S. How come they are not paying 1% of the taxes? Thank you, Nor Norman. You, you hit the nail on the head. If they have all the wealth, if they have all the income, then that's the percentage of taxes that they should be responsible for. Norman, Norman. You made it so easy, but I wanted to put that salt in as well. Uh, Eric says, we are the ones that get the burden of more taxes and unfettered spending. Exactly, so you agree with Norman. Daniel Rideau says, if rich people don't create jobs, then government does. Apparently, Egberto would rather the guys with guns control the law. Oh, no, 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 no. Here's the deal. The rich people don't create jobs. That's a fallacy. We create jobs by creating the demand that somebody builds something. If you listen to Miss Up Miss Smith Upton, that is the kind of method we want. Collectives, where we all benefit from all our sources. As it is right now, we have slavery. Because when you work for a corporation, they tell you what to do. They tell you how much they're going to pay for you. you. You don't want to. You leave. But more than likely, since they are a collusion, you have no choice. 
E2247 says, did you see today Washington Post report the complaint filed against SEC DOJ FTC by Twitter? I saw that. We'll take that another time. But let's go ahead and listen to our good friends at Democracy for America. Check this out. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. We're coming to you live from Netroots Nation 2022. We are the progressive folks that are going to get 2022. One, I'm here with Yvette Simpson, the Presidente of, what again? Democracy, Democracy for, for America. America. And Christopher Scott, who is the? Chief Political Officer of Democracy for America. Well, look, we're going to have some fun today because, you know, everybody's talking about us not winning uh, 2022. They are all in the doldrums because we're not going to do it. The fact of the matter is, if we have folks like you guys leading the charge, Guess who's going to keep the house in 2022? Absolutely. All right, we're well, doing look, it. Uh, absolutely. Anyway, Yvette, talk to me. Why, why, is, why do we have uh, this perception that things always have to be the same, that history always has to repeat itself? Because that's all people know, you know, but the reality is, is a lot has changed. You know, when I'm on the panel and folks are saying back in 1992, well, I wasn't even registered to vote in 1992. <laughs> You're talking about Clinton's first campaign. There's a whole new electorate that has not even been considered. So we're engaging those folks who were maybe not registered to vote in 1992, who might be 45, 50 years old. Uh, and we're talking about engaging a new generation of folks who are really upset with the status quo. And they are motivated, and they're going to show up. And I actually love that they're not capturing those people because then that's where we get our sneak attack, right? Like they're saying likely voters, but they don't see the folks who we're talking to who are going to show up and overwhelm them. Yvette, that is the best answer I could have <laughs> ever gotten. Now, let, me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Last week I did a program that I said the likely voter model is wrong. Oh! See, we're on the same okay, page. we're on the same page. Same now, vibration. Christopher, talk to me. I mean, you you got a lot of work to do, my yeah. friend. You know? So tell us a little bit about, I, I should have asked Yvette this, but you are, you are, tell us a little bit about DFA first, how it got started, and then a little bit about what you do. So I think we are the longest standing organization to come out of a failed presidential campaign. But when you look at the power that uh, Governor Dean harvested into creating DFA and now look at us 18 years later, uh, still powering the progressive movement. And I think the greatest part about DFA right now is we're ushering in the next era of the new American majority candidates and those likely voters that people don't want to consider as the likely voters. So when you look at a DFA candidate, you're looking at an Ayanna Presley, you're looking at a Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you're looking at a Delia Ramirez this year. Unfortunately, we lost Marie Newman, but we are the ones that are taking the faces all across the spectrum, 50 state strategy, and making sure that we use a people-powered approach to make sure that we're riding the ship for democracy right now. And what I love is you're even doing some great work in Texas. We yeah. are. We got I two mean, amazing new candidates I mean, you have down two great candidates yes. in Texas, both of which, which I know. And, I, I mean, it's great to see the work that's being done. If yeah. it, how are we going to put this through that others can actually see that this isn't just blind impassionment, but this is actually, we're looking at the real numbers. It's right. not, this isn't imaginary. We it's show the, our receipts. I mean, this month alone, DFA has won 14 out of 16 races. On the year, we've won 68 out of 94 races in a year where there's so much dark money that is coming against our candidates, millions and millions of dollars. What we know is that you win what you organize for, and we're continuing to organize folks that folks are not seeing, and we're winning the sneak attack. I mean, Greg Kazar yes, in Texas, Texas man. a brand yes. new seat, meaning we, have a, we have a plus one in the in house. Texas, That's a yes. new seat. Yes. Jasmine, her amazing campaign to replace what, someone the, who the wasn't established. Yeah, yeah. Like yes. and we, that's a progressive pickup, a young right. new black woman yes. representing in Texas. That's how we win. They don't see that coming, and that's how we increase our ranks. You told Chris Christie last week something that was in, I think it was mm -hmm. Chris that you told last week. You looked at him and he said, yeah, if Democrats keep doing what they're doing today, yeah, you're right. We're going to lose, lose in 2022. But if we really, really pick up the mantle and move with it, mm -hmm. how can we lose? That's right. We got to be on offense. Christopher, how can we lose? We can't. We can't lose. That's the thing. Everybody, 
I think so much of the media wanted to write this election off at the start of the year. And when you're looking at the momentum that is happening, you're looking at what happened in Kansas a few weeks ago with Democrats yes. closing that enthusiasm gap and saying, no, like we still want these protections. We still want these freedoms. Mm -hmm. I think you're starting to see uh, base of the Democratic Party start to wake up, realize we have too much at stake in this election, and they're ready, they're motivated, and they're going to get out there and deliver. I, I'm going to tell you guys something, and I want to hear both of your opinions about this. Everybody has been praising uh, Manchin. Okay, Manchin mm. came through. Manchin came through with this. And my thing is, like, Manchin just know how to read. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> uh, in other words, he read the tea leaves yeah. and realized that he's, in my opinion, that is, that he's going to be, he'll be irrelevant because of what the tea leaves are saying. Your thoughts on he that? He also got a deal, right? So yeah. as part of his negotiation, we've got expansion of uh, offshore drilling, right. uh, more digging for oil. I mean, he, he negotiated that to get the win for the companies that are paying his pocket. <laughs> right. But he knew, right, he couldn't stand still right. with wildfires and floods and what happened in the U.K. Climate is the issue. Right. And what he did was he said, well, now i got to get on the bandwagon. How can I get a couple bucks for the folks who are powering me up? And let me ask you something, though. Do you think he really is going to get a couple? Because my, my thought is this. Yeah, he, he fulfilled his mission to the oil companies. But are those oil companies really going to see, let me invest in something when the momentum is going towards green energy? Are they really going to get the results out of that bill? You know, I don't think so. And that's I the don't challenge. Either, yeah. I mean, that's why I said, you know, we've talked about the IRA and what the impact is going to be. Yes, it's the most yeah. significant investment in climate. Right. At a time where we need twice that much. Right. Like now, you know, now that we've got a, we're in a situation that's dire, you're going to spend some money. We need twice as much. That's like saying, oh, we're at 725. Let's go to 825. Right. That's the most we've ever paid in minimum wage. Right. Not in a year when we need $25 an hour. Right. So, you know, we know that this is a small incremental change. But it's a change. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? When Shell Oil is the first to tweet that they like the IRA, we're doing something wrong. When an oil yeah. company is saying, we like this deal, mm -hmm. there's something but in it But there's for one them. thing that I'm very happy about. Yes. You didn't come out. Y'all didn't come out and kill it. No, we you wouldn't have done have. that. We you wouldn't could have done have. that. We wouldn't have done that. We would have tried to make it better. Right. Progressives have been at the table with Biden trying to push this thing right. forward. And honestly, we wouldn't be at this point if it wasn't progressives. Because they were, thought they were done with the infrastructure yeah. bill. Look at us. We got the infrastructure bill. We're like, no, you have to keep doing more. Our climate activists, all of our progressive organizations have been pushing for this to get done. So they're making Joe Manchin like he's a, you know, a savior. Mm -hmm. He's I, not. I, I don't think any of not. us in the progressive oh, media no. space is treating him I'm like I'm talking about everybody else. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Look okay. at Manchin. He finally came around. No, he didn't. He it's saw a, he read it's those is rowing up to his yacht <laughs> telling him to come off the boat absolutely so so anyway listen we're almost done here tell me why didn't i ask you that you really wanted me to ask you i want to talk about again democrats are i do believe that we will end up winning back the house mm -hmm. i think it'll be a closer margin than what we want but again you have to look at the momentum that progressive candidates have had in a lot of open primaries we talked about Greg Kasar we talked about uh, sending somebody like uh, Jasmine Crockett mm -hmm. I'm going to point out two more Arizona 1 with Jevin Hodge yeah. Ohio 13 with oh, Amelia Sykes the former right. minority leader mm -hmm. when you look at the pickups a lot of these pickups and flips that Democrats are going to have this cycle mm -hmm. they're coming from progressive candidates so progressives not only are delivering on the agenda to help make the Biden administration look stronger, but we're also delivering on the battlefield to make sure that we protect the House and we will be the ones to save the Senate when you look at Mandela Barnes mm -hmm. uh, running for the Senate in West Coast by seven. and Sherry Beasley yes. running for like, oh. Senate in North yeah. Carolina. So When I talk about reading the tea leaves, right, mm -hmm. ask yourself a question. How comes they coalesced around Mandela? I wonder why. You know, it's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's amazing when you actually want to win and hold something. Mm -hmm. You'll do. You'll kind of bite your tongue and do what you need to mm -hmm. do. That's true. Absolutely. And that was one of the things we reflected on. It was all John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, right? But no Mandela Barnes, who's right. also a lieutenant governor, exactly. who also is doing really, really Which well also against an incumbent, and he could win the entire state, state. nationally, exactly. which is what you have to prove like our North Carolina. I don't yeah, know too Sherry much about Beasley. her. So, She's yeah. won statewide twice. Yeah. And times. that's what people forget. Yeah. Like you're talking about a candidate for the U.S. Senate that just lost her Supreme Court justice seat by 450 yes. odd so votes. Yes. 
when have you ever had a candidate in North Carolina, at least in recent history, right. that qualified come up to run for the U.S. Senate? So she's no stranger to this. She's exactly. not new to this. She's still true to this. We came really close in North yes. Carolina last time with a right. far less superior candidate. And, and, a, and a state that isn't all that purple. That's right. Right? Right. It is if you look at their likely voters, but when you look at all potential voters. There you go. Now there we've you. got momentum. Close me out a bit. Um, you know, it's a big year, and I'm really feeling good about it. If we organize, if we do the things that we need to do, if we focus on the galvanizing issue and stop with this wonky Washington stuff that nobody wants to hear about, if we focus on voters who need to be engaged, we win every time. It's going to be a good year. I, I got the feeling at the top of the year, I was like, this is going to feel like 2018. Yes, Remember 2018? Too. It was like that sneak but attack. But you remember they never thought about it they either. They didn't think, and then they got the squad, and yes. then they woke up. I yes. think it's going to be that year, and we need to keep our eyes on next week. Maxwell Frost in Florida needs all the support I need that to he learn can get. About that. Oh, I, I he is the one. That. First possible Gen Zer on the Democratic side. Period. If he wins this in Florida, really? Florida, the home of Governor DeSantis. We might pick up a progressive mm. in Florida. Watch Yvette out. Yvette Simpson, Christopher Scott. Yvette is a president of Democracy for America, and you're going to have to remind me that you are the chief political officer of Democracy for America. Folks. This has been a pleasure of mine because if, having the two of these guys together at the same time is like manna from, if you're a Christian, <laughs> manna from heaven. Yes. Thank you so kindly, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where, hey, 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 I, they, I'm pushing, I'm pushing the button, and I'm pushing the button, and I'm pushing the button, and I couldn't get it going. Anyhow, folks, I hope you enjoyed Yvette and Chris, but anyhow, folks, uh, we have another good one coming up. But first of all, Bridge MCP, thank you for that super chat. Bridge MCP with a great super chat. We appreciate that, folks. You don't know. This is this is a labor of, well, I, I won't go into all of that. So all I can say is thank you guys for all of you that continue to support Politics Done Right. One more before I go do my ask. And here we go with John Paul Mejia. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Again, direct from... Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Netroot Nations 2022. Today I'm honored to have John Paul Mejia of Sunri the Sunrise Movement. John Paul, welcome to Politics Sunrise. How are you doing Thank today? Thank you so much. I'm doing really great. Great well, talking to folks. It's great to have you here. Please tell me a little bit about the uh, Sunrise Movement. What is it? So the Sunrise Movement is a youth movement that is building a massive number of young people who want to solve the climate crisis and do it in a way that creates millions of jobs in the process. Sunrise is best known for putting forward a solution on climate known as the Green New Deal, uh -huh. which essentially solves climate change and creates millions of jobs in the process. And it's centered in a vision of economic and racial justice. Now, I mean, a lot of people complain about the Green New Deal as it's going to cost jobs or it's pie in the sky or, you know, we are never going to get off of fossil fuels because the, the performance of green energy is not that of fossil fuels. What do you tell those people? They're talking about climate for the first time ever, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, actually, one of that's the, a very yeah, good point. One of the incredible things is that, you know, for a very long time, um, you know, the fossil fuel industry by, you know, buying media, by buying pundits, by buying politicians sort of cornered the debate on climate change right. in a place of whether it was real or not for right. decades. And you know, you had most of, you know, democratic politicians and an activist base talking about the climate crisis in such a way. Right. When Sunrise and other movements for justice and democracy came out with a vision of climate that was forward facing, right? That right. said, sure, we want to stop the climate crisis. But you know what? We want to do it in a way that also empowers people and creates right. millions of jobs. Right. And you know what? We do want it to be a massive sweeping thing because people haven't had um, loads of opportunities right. in this country for a very long time. That's when we sort of shifted the debate on the climate crisis and our opponents then started talking about it in our frame, right? And so none of those things are true. No, but, no, but it's important <laughs> but, what you said. You, yeah. it, it is something that I think the, the youth have understood that a lot of the older folks don't. If you are If you are playing the game on their platform, they have the upper edge and you're always on the defensive. If you force them to play it on your fields, it's like, 
uh, so what do you do when the planet burns? So what do you do when the floods come? So what do you do? So exactly. continue, please. Thank you. Exactly. No, I mean, it's exactly that point. Um, you know, it's about for, for a very long time, uh, the sort of conversation on climate change was hinged on whether it was real or not, but also the base of people who were talking about it were, it was pretty limited. It was right. a pretty limited base. Right. It was mostly, you know, mostly white folks. They were mostly upper middle class, right. full-time advocates, environmentalists that spoke about climate change in a way that was based on polar bears or parts per million, which is something that doesn't directly... I mean, there's a direct word for that in an in elitist fashion. Right, exactly. And so it's it's far off, right? It doesn't connect to people. Right. How am I going to give a shit about a polar bear exactly. or something called PPM when I'm facing, you know, a job that can't pay enough or right. when I'm worried about whether my, like, kid of right. color is going to come back home safe or right. not? And so what would it mean for you actually to engage in a vision of climate policy that not only tackles the crisis at the speed, scope, and scale, right, in the, in the sort of large right. amount that you actually need to tackle it at, but also in one that brings people together. Because right. you fundamentally know that in order to change the U.S. economy like you need it to change, you need mass movements. Right. The, the times when those things has happened, right. harken back to the New Deal, right. it wasn't brought forward by a couple benevolent senators or a cool president. Right. It was massive amounts of people on the streets and politicians who would replace those who didn't agree with those movements right. that made the change happen. And so the idea behind the Green New Deal is to offer a solution that's rooted in everyone's life, right? Who you know, wants to grow up or wants their kid to grow up on a burning planet? Right. No one. But who also wants to create millions of good union jobs? Right. Who wants, you know, federal investment on climate justice to go to their communities? Who wants the ability to design the world that they want to grow up in? That's what the Green New Deal is about. And that's why it's such an honestly genius intervention to be made. Right. Um, and it's sort of political history after that moment right. follows that. But of course, it has to be sold on the grassroots level, bottom up, in such a fashion. It's amazing uh, uh, the way you say that, because it's important for folks to realize every time we've had any change in the way the economy has functioned, uh, it has always waited for the plutocrats to come on in and monopolize and profit on it. Uh, what I love about the Green New Deal and specifying justice in there is that we are not going to allow this massive change in the economic structure not to include everybody, right. whereas all the capital flows upwards. Now, it's a, you have a task ahead of you mm -hmm. because there's a lot of money from the plutocrats that are going to be in there uh, actually trying to confuse the same people that you are trying to talk to. And they may have more bang for the buck, but you may have more social interaction that, uh, that generally flesh-to-flesh -flesh contact is a lot more powerful than, than seeing an ad every day. So what, what's your plan of action going forward to compete with what's about to hit you. Yeah, I mean or what is hitting you? Yeah, I mean this is this is definitely the case, right? The fossil fuel industry and loads of folks, loads of folks who are really friendly to it have massive amounts of organized money. Right. Um and that is that is a very large obstacle. Mm -hmm. Um, however, the only thing that can be organized money is organized people. Exactly. And the idea of having a social movement is exactly that. Exactly. Um, by getting across to people and actually doing the hard work of, right. you know, talking to voters, talking to your neighbors, talking to your friends, talking to your family and getting them in on this vision. It's much harder for someone who's paid off in the media or a politician to suddenly you know, penetrate that person because they're someone who cares about them and right. someone who they care for is reaching them first. Right. And so that's the beauty of a social movement. Now, and that's been the history of Sunrise. Sunrise. Again, you said it's a youth movement. It's a youth it's, movement. It's mostly comprised of youth. Your president, everything I imagine, uh, are young people. Mm -hmm. Now, um, how big are you? Uh, where are you based? Sunrise is has a chapter structure, which uh -huh. means that there are... Um, independently run chapters throughout the entire United States. Right. So there's more than 300 chapters okay. across the United States. Um, there's a couple here in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, the national organization supports these chapters and runs federal campaigns. Right. Um, 
and we our history really started in 2018. So in 2018, or prior to 2018, actually, um, there was a big realization that on the climate issue, we were losing. Right. Obama came into office and had, you know, at a given year, majorities in Congress, right? right? And he expressed with these majorities intent to get a climate bill across the finish line. That's when this bill known as Waxman-Markey, the right. first climate bill that could have made it across the right. finish line, became a thing. It passed the House, but didn't even come up for a vote in the Senate. Right. And there was a lot of question at that moment as to why would, why did that happen, right? You, you know have why. Democratic majorities. Yeah. And the research was really interesting, right? There was, an, there was broad popular support for the bill. But what actually was able to tank it was obviously organized money, exactly. but also a small and vocal movement of Tea Party conservatives right. who were able to limit the conversation on climate. And so once that bill was was lost, some people got really serious and said, you know what, we're going to need a social movement to actually get this right. across the finish line and not just one that focuses on, you know, turning people out and having and changing public opinion, but one that also directly engages with power. Right. And so we spent a while in 2018 coming up with a plan, right? Sure, elect Democrats who care about climate change, right. but don't stop there. Elect better Democrats. That's when folks in our movement and folks adjacent to our movement recruited a young congresswoman or soon to be congresswoman, just bartender at the time in the Bronx, AOC. I, I recruited her to the yes. And other folks who would be able to run on this right. on this idea. And then around came the 2018 midterms. Democrats recaptured their majorities. And, you know, there was this big headline that came out in the Hill that said it, it read something like Democrats dampen hopes for cl action on climate change. I, I remember that distinctly. Exactly. And at that moment, we said, all right, here's what we need to do. We're going to need to make an intervention in the Democratic Party. And we're going to do it as soon as they win the midterms. So the first thing we did was have a massive sit-in with At loads Nancy of young Pelosi's, people. It was in Nancy Pelosi's yeah, office, yeah. joined by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right. which is the first time anyone started hearing of this thing called a Green New Deal. Right. Two years later, every presidential candidate on the debate stage in 2019 or 2020 was asked about their stance on the right. Green New Deal. And the conversation on climate was entirely shifted. Right. Fast forward to 2022. Now, for the first time, nearly a decade after Waxman Markey failed, you have a moderate president. Because, yeah. you know, remember, Joe Biden is still the president still of the United president. States. Got his agenda essentially butchered. But the one thing that remained was, was climate spending. Exactly. And it's not great. It's not it's magnificent. Not the best, but, but it's the billion exactly. Dollars, not a, it's, it's quite a bit. And it's it's the first ever piece of climate legislation right. that makes it past the Senate and to the president's desk in right. U.S. history. And that's the movement that you were able to build in four years with a lot of learning from folks who came before. But nonetheless, a strategy that both harnesses a social movement, targets a party and is focused on winning power. Well, look, uh, Jean-Paul Mejia, that was excellent. You guys keep up your great work because I tell you what, we need young people engaged because after all, this is the planet we're leaving for you. Thank you so much. Right, it was great so being kindly. here. Thank you. Politics done right depends on you to keep doing what we do. What do we do? We make sure to keep, number one, the internet seeded with blogs and information to counter the right and to present what progressives represent for the benefit of us all to everybody so that it's not misread, misled by any other entity. We make sure and populate that internet with blogs, with videos, with all these other things to make sure that we are informed and to counter everything that you normally hear that, that are lying at the right. We also make sure to create articles in, in magazines, articles in newspapers, all around the country to ensure again that our message gets out there last but not least we also write books as you see it class warfare the only re resort to right-wing doom how to make america utopia 
are two of the many books that I've written on these issues. So please support us in one of many ways. Numero uno, you can support us at PayPal, either one time or monthly. Go to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. You can support us on Patreon. That is politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can support us by becoming a part of our YouTube channel, going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, or you can support us in many other forms that you can find at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Be sure to visit our store, politicsdoneright.com slash store, and get our books at politicsdoneright.com slash books. Thank you so kindly for being here. You know how I'm going to edit this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.